Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box for another rendition of Andy, Andy's Terrible Jokes. Andy, do, 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 do. you just told us before you've got some doozies today. Do you want to go at the top of the show or at I the back end of the I show? I didn't say I've got some doozies. I guess I've got some really <laughs> stupid ones. <laughs> I feel like really stupid ones and doozies match up. Uh, what an episode we have in store for you today. We're going to talk about Blue Ocean, um, a book written by a Harvard professor that has... Um, I think sh- shines some light on why we coach the way we coach in terms of what it does for kids. Are we still on TV? Is this? Yeah, is we're it, still yeah, on TV. Yeah, this, it's YouTube. This is, the, this is the book. TV. You know? TV. <laughs> it, people in Andy's age call YouTube TV. <laughs> well, we got it right. Yeah, you know, okay, great. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> that's what it really is, isn't it? <laughs> this is a really heck of a start to an episode. Um, Blue Ocean Strategy. We're going to dig into uh, Blue Ocean and what that means and how that's impacted the way in which we think not only about the way we run our club and the way we run the various um, uh, programs that we have within within our club structure and within our organization, but also um, Legends players and and the impact that, that, that being a little different has on, on, on their future, um, future soccer playing opportunities. But before we we get there philippe a little different a little different yeah yeah i think understatement sometimes is helpful it's massively different okay (laughs) i always get it wrong thanks for clarifying yeah thanks andy thanks thanks thanks. uh uh, well andy philippe good morning hello welcome um episode 39 how excited are you very excited always good to be here spending the morning with these two gentlemen Hearing Andy's jokes We're making these strange statements this morning. Gentleman is the last one. I mean, I, the last thing I think of when I look at you two well, guys are, is are, gentlemen. Aren't, aren't British people gentlemen? <laughs> of the knights and all that kind of stuff? Yes, of course. You know, we're, we're, of the, <laughs> we're the blue bloods, you know. Is the it? blue bloods. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I come from the wrong side of the tracks in England. You know, definitely not a blue blood. Yeah. All right. Ten plus years ago, Andy was at Half Price Books. If you guys don't know this about Andy, uh, when he gets a spare minute, he goes to the bookstore and he just wanders around and he buys every every copy that exists within the, the used bookstore of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he finds however many copies he bought, he finds that many people to gift that book to. Um, and then he just looks for other books, books of, of interest, usually books around business or strategy or philosophy, in my experience. And one of these trips, he came across this book called Blue Ocean Strategy, written by W. Chan Kim. Am I correct in that? Well, you've really dressed up the story to a tremendous degree. I, th- I, have. I think I got this from Amazon, actually. <laughs> really? No. I've never known you to buy any book not from Half Price Who books. helped you order it? That's the question. Um, the good Lord? I don't know. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> well, what, what was your thought process? Like, why did you want to buy the book from Amazon? What, 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 what tripped your switch and your interest in this book, Blue Ocean Strategy? And why should everybody listening uh, read the book? Well, I've always struggled with swimming, and I thought blue ocean. Maybe I'd be able to learn a little bit about you know strokes. And, and so, now the real reason was that you know it, you know I picked it up. I liked the title, and you know and and when I read the introduction, the introductions tell a story, obviously, and and uh, it was a really good introduction about how to find a space that other people haven't spotted, you know. And you know I was already doing it, you know, and and this just matched up with. You know, my philosophy towards soccer is, is, you know, we've got something that just seems that traditionalists can't adopt. You know, and I've met with, you know, and, and you know, old friends with a lot of the competitors, the, the directors of coaching that run our competitive clubs here in Kansas City, the, the, the clubs that we play week in and week out. And, you know, over the years, you know, we've become friends. And I, I literally shared everything with you know uh, these guys anybody's ever asked me 
you know, I'll send them a copy of my book, you know, free of charge. I'll, you know, I will share everything that, because it's about kids, right? Yeah, back in the old day, you'd meet them at Panera for a four-hour meeting where you'd literally answer any question they had for how you develop the players that you develop and yeah, why you, you did it the way, the way you did it. You know, I met with, you know, uh, Todd Logan, who, who, you know, mm-hmm. was the guy that started the Alliance Club in North Kansas City, and John Parry, the, you know, who... Um, you know, was the director of coaching for the, uh, the, the, the Blue Valley originally soccer club that turned into um, Blue Valley Sporting, you know, mm-hmm. and took the, you know, the pro club's name and, uh, you know, ended up running the whole academy program for Sporting Kansas City. And, you know, I shared everything that I knew, you know, I, and, and you know, I just said, anything you want to know, just let me know. And, you know, when I left that meeting, you know, I felt really good that they were actually going to kind of copy what we were doing. Yep. And they couldn't. You know, obviously, you know, and we've you know spoken since. It, you know, it's an incredibly painful process. Well, they could, they chose not to, um, uh, because they couldn't, for whatever reason, they would answer that better than we would. But the the supposition that I think that we've made as as an organization is that the competing clubs looked at our 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 our, our philosophy towards. Um, especially in the younger age gr- groups, losing before you win and prioritizing development over winning as to be too extreme and something that, that they couldn't bite the apple. The reality is that their coaches would not be able to do it the way that we're doing. And, you know, there's, there's kind of a tipping point. You've really got to commit to it to, you know, to create see any an, success. an incredible creative dribbler and goal scorer. Yeah. To see any success, you've got to work almost thanklessly for quite a while you know, until they can transfer what you're doing in training into the game, sure. you know, and with success, you know, and start creating goals as a result of, you know, having really dug deep and worked on their skills. These kids, you know, will eventually come around. Every single one I've ever coached has eventually come around. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a different stages on the continuum. You know, I might have a kid come around within three or four months, but he's only one on the team. And it might take another kid two years to come around. And in those two years, that kid that is struggling is costing you games, mm-hmm. you know, because they're trying to dribble out of your own penalty area. And, and people would say that's wrong, but you've got to, you know, insist they do it in order to develop the skills. So that might be wrong in terms of losing games, but it's right for the individual in terms of them becoming a brave creative leader for life and being able to dominate individuals in the game of soccer. Yeah. You know, and so... Over time, uh, you know, you're going to see success, but that's time that most people don't feel that they have. And then, you know, these guys being directors of coaching, they're trying to change traditionalists' minds. And it's kind of like politics. You know, you're not going to change a committed left-winger's or right-winger's mind very often. It's like pulling teeth, getting a leopard to change its spots. So, you know, they were literally the directors of coaching that for a short while were asking their people to completely change their life viewpoint with regard to soccer. And it just hasn't happened with very many people. You know, within our own system, we've managed to make it happen with some clubs to a certain degree, but not to the degree of success that we've had in Kansas City. And and to describe the book, Blue Ocean Strategy, I have genuinely haven't read it but any book that Andy's read and talks about a lot I feel like I've read through him Um, and this isn't the only example of that but uh, uh, as I understand Blue Ocean Strategy Andy do I have this right essentially a business strategy book that 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 posits that if you really want to be successful in 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 life or specifically business you need to find blue ocean blue ocean meaning the opposite of red ocean red ocean there's a lot of competitors they're fighting over the the limited prey thus there's bloody red um, competition everywhere. Blue Ocean is you find your own niche. You you establish a lane, an area where people can't compete with you because you do it so differently um, that competition um, can't rise to that level or can't engage in, in that way. And so we've oftentimes used that Blue Ocean strategy concept as a parallel for how we wanted to run our club, how we wanted to run our indoor training facility concept, how we wanted to run our Happy Feet preschool franchise concept. Um, do I have that right, Andy? Yeah, you just spoke about people that can't engage in that way. You know, you've got to be very different. So, you know, remember, we're talking about Blue Ocean here. Yeah. And a lot of people can't engage in the way that I'm going to engage right now. 
but you know, I've got some blue ocean jokes. Oh, know. great! Oh, yeah. woo! Yeah, I was hoping I, we'd I didn't get want to, these. to disappoint you. Yeah, yeah, I'm you know? glad. I, and I, and I, here's the best thing. <laughs> I, thought the <laughs> I thought the jokes had to be in the first five minutes. Well, see, we were the, already at ten. Yeah, that's the I thing. Thought you thought you got away with this, didn't you? Well, yeah, I did. Well, well it, I mean, a further example of Andy's going to go against the grain. I offered to him at the beginning, in true love and logic style, two options. Both I was okay with. We can do the jokes at the top or at the bottom Andy waits and he's going to put them right in the middle I know right it's not the middle yet it's early days you know we're 10 minutes into the first half <laughs> so blue ocean jokes and basically um, you know these are anything that related to the sea did you, know? you did you actually google blue ocean jokes I'm not telling you my sources you know this is the, I'll give you the key to my career if I tell you that <laughs> why don't fish play soccer they're afraid of nets. Why is the ocean always blue? Why is the ocean always blue? Because the shore never waves back. Why don't clams give to charity? Because they're shellfish. Why, why, why are you filming me? I want kids to listen to this podcast. I can't wait. Why does the mermaid wear seashells? Because she grew out of her bee shells. <laughs> why, why did the fishermen start doing drugs? Peer pressure. Peer. You know, peers in the ocean. We don't okay. have to explain. It's just horrible. <laughs> it makes it funnier. Especially when you give me that look. <laughs> why did the lobster blush? Because the seaweed. Where, where does shellfish go to borrow money? The prawn broker. What do you call a big fish that makes an offer you can't refuse? I love this one. The Codfather. Where does a killer whale go for braces? The Orca Dauntist. Did you hear about the red ship that collided with the blue ship? All the sailors were marooned. Marooned? Color? Maroon? Combination of red and blue? Okay. Uh, um, how do you cut, a, cut an ocean in two with a seesaw? I had a dream the ocean was filled with orange soda. It was a fantasy. <laughs> Why did the hippie drown in the ocean? He was too far out. Why did the whale cross the ocean to get to the other tide? What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? This is a joke for me. I'm 80. <laughs> Why are pirates called pirates? There's a lot of blue Just because jokes. they are. <laughs> hey, well, listeners, why, if you're still pirate, listening, hold let on, us know what you on. thought. <laughs> what, how Which do pirates get shirt? to the airport? They rent a car. <laughs> What's, what's a pirate's favorite letter? letter? R. <laughs> and, and my all-time favorite, what do you call a man with a seagull on his head? Cliff. All-time favorite. <laughs> all-time favorite. I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I wish I, I, um, wish I was speechless. Uh, th the, those of you more still listening at home, let us know what you thought. The, drop in the review section. The audience wishes that I was speechless. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, th don't worry, guys. There are still many notes left. I, I don't think any of them have any pre-written jokes in them. <laughs> Let's get back to Blue Ocean, shall we? Oh, uh, <laughs> man. Blue Ocean. Hey, you know what? I think we've charted a new path. There is not another podcast out there that covers youth soccer and has weekly jokes um, as bad as those. And, and that's why nobody can compete with us is because we are <laughs> yeah, as unique our blue as the ocean. day is long. That's our blue ocean. I'm, I'm a little upset you're calling my Joe's jokes weak. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just not nice. I'm a very sensitive guy. Okay, so back, back, back to the topic that people came to listen, listen to. Blue ocean strategy, right? The, the, the concept behind um, um, you know, being a little bit different, charting your own path, uh, avoiding competition, rising above competition, whatever you might look at it. I, I think that, that we can make this connection specifically to the way that we teach, to, way we coach players, right? If tradition suggests that we use rondos and sideways and backwards and, 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 and traditional concepts, pass first, um, team first concepts as a way to develop players, perhaps the best way to help your player stand out in a tryout is to uh, follow the legends way, right? Uh, to use an approach that, that, that prioritizes risk-taking, prioritizes teaching players to dribble and take players on and create for themselves first and then create for the team. 
second. Perhaps that second option is one where your the players that you coach can can stand out um, and and demonstrate uh, their skill in a better way in a tryout setting. My daughter just went through high school tryouts for the first time, and uh, uh, my daughter is not like me in that she'd just prefer to, to 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 not be noticed or seen in most aspects of her life. It sometimes feels like. Um, my my really the only coaching I gave her before she went to the tryout session is, hey, Liv, remember a tryout. The point is to be noticed. Um, and so go out there and try to do some different things. You'll fail in those different things, but they'll notice the failure. Um, and if they like the idea behind it, um, they'll be eager to give you another shot to see what you can do. Um, and and I felt enormously comfortable going into the tryout setting from a father perspective thinking oh she's got the special sauce right she's her ability to create off the dribble is her blue ocean um, and competing against 80 other girls um, from you know different clubs all across Kansas City I'm excited to see how she presents um, with that with that blue ocean strategy that we'd employed as a club training her to be a soccer player and so I think blue ocean strategy fits both on the field and off the field um, if that makes sense it makes tremendous sense and one of the things that has become evident since you know we founded the club in the 1980s is that nobody can compete with us and and so this and it's not by our choice it's by their choice they choose not to do the hard work and go through the pain of establishing their own mini blue ocean like we did at the start and now we've got a pretty sizable blue ocean uh, mini ocean there's no such thing as a mini ocean oceans are big you know but uh, you know w- what we've done now is we've created an ocean but it started as a, as a very small pond you know and it, it just grew and grew and grew and nobody contested the space you know and i looked into uh, getting a trademark for our box soccer courts mm-hmm you know, because it was such a great idea and nobody had done it. You know, now people had used racquetball courts, but those things are like 10 times the size of our, of our box soccer courts. You know, but, you know, after I looked into it, you know, I was told by a, a company that specialized in that type of a patent, it's too much of a room. It, it's four walls, basically, and you're just banging a ball off of four walls. And, you know, nobody's going to give you a trademark for anything that doesn't have extra special components to it. You know, which made a lot of sense to me. And so I abandoned the idea of, of you know, getting a trademark for the well, box. Just think box. we could have put your, a giant portrait of you in every box. And then that would have been that unique extra. Kind of like, you know, Saddam Hussein's face was all over Iraq during uh, the 80s and early oh, 90s. I would think of Ho Chi Minh. I think of China. And the, and the kids you know, would probably shoot the ball harder if they were aiming at your face. Yeah. <laughs> See, these are the types of jokes that the, the crowd came for. That's how this face got like that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it would fix something. I don't know. I, I used to have a cute little nose until you know a thousand balls had been struck at it. Um, but but you know, it, it's um, the the whole concept of what we do uh, it has turned out to be blue ocean. It wasn't the reason we did it in the first place. You know, but the the reason I love the book so much is I recognize the book was kind of about what we had done. And it was also an inspiration to do more of what we had mm-hmm. done to look at. Lean into it. Yeah. You know, instead of, you know, saying, hey, we've done enough, we're still innovating. We're still coming up with ways. You know, I'm currently running practice sessions uh, for the Maestro series, you know, with a bunch of kids because, you know, I feel that the way to learn is to actually be involved at the grassroots level, you know, and experiment with things. And so I'm finding a way, for example, I'm teaching the moves in the box soccer court and you're only allowed to do four things, four key things when you're learning a drag Maradona. And your first touch when the ball is moving and often moving at speed has to go straight into the drag which commits the defender. So you're doing a touch up. These balls are, you know, just, you know, thundering off of these walls and a player's got to get to the ball at the earliest possible point and with a good first touch, execute a drag to commit the defender to go in in the direction of the drag. Second touch has to be the first pullback of a Maradona. Third touch is the second pullback of the Maradona. And the fourth touch is a shot that has to hit the front wall and the side wall, otherwise it doesn't count. So you can do the first three things perfectly and hit the shot, and the shot hits the side wall, just a fraction in front of the front wall, and that whole sequence does not count. 
to get a point, you've got to do a great four-touch sequence. You know, and uh, it, the box soccer courts are incredible. Uh, I've got kids taking over 4,000 touches in a, an hour and a half max, you know, in that box, doing drag Maradona turns. It's insane, the repetition. You know, so the kids are already transferring. This. So let me go in a few months, and kids are transferring this at full speed into the game scenario like they're many professionals and just absolutely killing people with their drag Maradonas. Well, I think in, in, in part because, one, they get so many repetitions, but they're, they're, they're not static repetitions. They're dynamic repetitions. So you posted a video on your own Facebook um, of a girl, I don't know who she is, but from the club doing this specific activity with the drag Maradona. Right. And I sat back and watched it a few times just to see what I saw. And one of the biggest things I noticed is that obviously every 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 reception of the ball, it was at a little bit different height or a little bit different um, length from, from her feet, right? And so she had to reach a little bit different or she had to pull her foot up a little bit higher or drop her foot a little bit lower for each one. But every single time she was still able to do that right into a drag, finish out a, a, the Maradona, and then fire a shot off the wall. And that dynamic training has got to be so good for developing the ability that in a game when the variable is different every time she performs the drag Maradona to still be effective at beating the defender or going. And talk about a, a blue ocean move. Drag Maradona, nobody else does it. And so if you really want to put yourself, stand out and, and create in a way that nobody else can create, um, that, that should be at the forefront of your skill set. And, and the point that you make is is that every single repetition she does had to be completely different. Well, what happens is the wall becomes the defender. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you collect the ball and you're all the way across the court from the wall that you're attacking. Then you can do a really long drag, you know, which ideally you want to do because that really commits the defender. Yep. You know, but other times you collect the ball with your first touch and you're just two feet away from the wall. Yep. And you have to do this incredibly short drag in order to commit the defender. Now, the wall doesn't commit, obviously, but the wall is like a defender. So, you know, every time you're receiving the ball, you're at, a, at least a subtly different angle from any angle you've been at before, a different distance from the walls. And so the walls that surround you, the two side walls and the back wall, they become like defenders, and you have to adjust and do a different drag Maradona every single time you do one, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and so you have to come out at a different angle with the exit, uh, you know, after doing the Maradona turn, you know, and of course you're at a different angle for taking your shot in order to get it to the front wall and then the side wall. So, you know, it's, it's totally blue ocean in terms of massive repetition and the kids, I, I asked them to do four minute rounds. And four-minute rounds are incredibly exhausting. And I asked them to do four-minute rounds because in the last 30 minutes, it's like playing in the last 10 minutes of a game. You know, you're out there, you're tired. You know, the lactic acid is flooding your muscles. And you've got to focus through the tiredness and the fog that comes with that tiredness to reproduce a technically perfect drag Maradona, even though you can feel your physical abilities faded. And then you do 10 of those four-minute rounds. They've been going for 40 minutes, and they've taken over 4,000 touches. You know, in 10 of those rounds, you know, at the end of that 10th round, you're in a, literally a fog, mm -hmm. you know, a, a sea of lactic acid, you know, and your whole being is tired, you know, and they walk out of this, you know, this hour and a half session having absolutely given everything, having taken an ungodly amount of touches. They've taken more touches than some kids take in a whole outdoor season of practices with our competitors clubs in Kansas City. It's ridiculous. And I think the repetition factor is, is the key because you look at any other, you know, shooting drill or anything that you do in soccer, and if you do 5, 6, 10, 20 repetitions, you don't get enough of the variables to get perfect on anything. So, as you said, all the, bo the balls come in different angles, different heights, the wall is closer, you know, the wall is further... You know, you have more space to explode, less space to explode. All these variables, if you're only doing a regular outdoor, you know, let's do a few reps of any skill, you don't get all these different variables as, as at a significant amount that the kid will perfect the skill in each situation that it might be presented to them. So I think 
having all this repetition in a sequence, meaning they're all within four minutes, it's not throughout, you know, a whole week, they their muscle memory just goes through the roof. It goes through the roof so fast. It yeah. explodes. 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 Yeah. And, and really as we does. talk about as we talk about Blue Ocean Strategy, genuinely if you're listening to this, this episode is going to be about an hour long. So we're going to just touch the surface in terms of the various um, uh, elements that we have as part of our philosophy and, 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 and ethos as an organization related to Blue Ocean Strategy. But we've leaned into this in a big way. Email Andy at CaseyLegendSoccer.com uh, or CoachingInsideTheBox at gmail.com and we'll be happy to share this full list with you. But as I looked at the list to prepare for this episode, Andy generously created the list for us. Um, The one that really stuck out to me as perhaps the biggest blue ocean piece or one of the biggest blue ocean pieces to, to, to our ethos currently is what we're talking about now. And it's the rebound surfaces and, and these rebound surfaces have been so enormously great from a development perspective um, for our players, but they also have come immediately chartered a giant difference between us and everybody else in town. We've covered this in, 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 in many ways over many different uh, podcasts, but um, I think that's the exciting part when I think about us from a, uh, a longevity perspective. How long can we continue to keep the doors open and the lights on so that we can continue to provide this awesome program for kids? And it never, it will never end because what we do is so different. It's so easy for parents to go, oh, I believe in that. I want some of that. That's the only place to get it. Yeah, you know, the evidence of a parent's own eyes is that, you know, their kid in, you know, they come to our facility for the first time, right? They get involved in one of these practices. Their kid takes, even if it's just a few hundred touches, you know, because they're surrounded by rebound surfaces, they walk away saying that was incredible. And their kid from the start to the finish is dynamically involved. The kid walks away, you know, with a smile on their face. They've touched the ball so many times. Every kid wants the ball, you know, and so they get a plethora of ball touches, you know. And and today I woke up and, you know, I'm a soccer junkie. And, you know, so before I come in here, you know, and, and, and people that listening don't realize that, you know, we started this podcast at 7 a.m., which is kind of late for us, actually. We know, we'd been doing it at 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so... Um, but before I, you know, I, I come in here, I'm, I'm catching up with what happened in, the, in, you know, the Champions League last night, you know, and, and I, I look at the headline that, you know, I find that Haaland for Manchester City has scored five goals in a 7-0 victory, 7-0 victory over Leipzig, you know, and so, you know, I'm, I'm reading this report that's, that's by a, a, not because we share a name, but the Guardian reporter who's just brilliant, Barney Rone, you know, and... And uh, he said this, and this is our players, you know, and, and people have got to listen to this carefully because uh, I love Barney Roney's turn of phrase and the way he thinks about the game. He loves creative play. And he, he talked about, you know, obviously Haaland and his five goals, but he talked about the architects of the goals. And, and one was Kevin De Bruyne, who's brilliant. And the other one was Bernardo Silva. And, and uh, Barney Roney of The Guardian said this, Bernardo Silva was routinely brilliant, not really a defensive or attacking midfielder these days. And this is the line I love. Just an all-round roving skill gobbling. <laughs> that's really great. I never thought of it, but that's what we produce. Yeah, yeah. You know, our club produces, you know, like Brazil, like the favelas mm. of Rio. You know, we produce all-round roving soccer goblins, mm-hmm. you know, that can, you know, pop up 30 yards from goal, do a drag Maradona <laughs> and stick the ball top corner. You know, they could be in traffic in front of goal in a crowded penalty area and, you know, and come up with this incredible touch into the the top corner or the bottom corner or wherever through a goalie's legs, you know, and, you know, they're roving soccer goblins. They're little evil things that, <laughs> that pop up and stuff the ball in the back of the net before the defender could even react, you know, or, or do something totally deceptive, you know, under pressure in a crowd. Yeah. You know, I was watching the Krause boys and, and uh, what's Will? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, and Will's not the most athletic kid out there. No, not at all. But my golly gosh, he's gutsy, he's skillful, and he scores the most incredible goals, you know. And, and I'm just, you know, open mouthed, yeah. you know, at, at, at what these these three kids can do. You know, it's just incredible, you know, and, and 
the list goes on though you know it, grace and lens you know i uh, I've been coaching Grayson for a while. I coached his dad, Peter, decades ago. And, uh, and so this is a 10-year-old kid, you know, long blonde hair, lovely kid. He's out there on the ragged edge, you know, and he's a soccer junkie. He's here two, three hours a night. And, and so uh, I'm coaching Grayson, and I want to give a demonstration of what I've just asked Grayson to do. You know, and Grayson took to this like a duck to water, this four-touch, you know, doing this drag Maradona and then putting the ball in the corner of the front wall. And I say, Grayson, we, you know, could you give these three young ladies a demo, you know, on what it is I want them to be doing now that they've learned the drag Maradona? And Grayson gets in, he, and he does this, you know, just for thirty seconds. He does a whole bunch of these drag Maradona turns, and he's like clockwork, and he's hitting the, you know, the front wall just in the corner again and again and again, and it's disgustingly accurate. <laughs> you know, it's just one of these things. Like you look at this kid, and you're like, hey, Grayson, you know, I know I'm teaching you to do this. And I know that you're brilliant and I know you're learning this just the way I want you to learn it. But Grace and I hate you because I could never do this myself, you know. But, he, you know, I'm living through him, though. And I'm only joking about that. I hate you, part, obviously, you know. And, uh, and so, so, you know, I said, OK, one more, Grace, and, you know, let's, and, then, and then we'll end it. It's a great demo, you know. And the kid does this drag Maradona perfectly, you know, and he gets in position for the shot. And his, his legs are weird, you know, his, his, his you know, feet are all misaligned, you know. And, and I'm looking at him, and then he does a Rabona. And this Rabona is a rocket fast. And for, for our listeners that don't know what a Rabona is, it's a shot where one leg goes behind the other leg. Yeah. And this goes like an arrow and hits the dot that we've got on the front wall in the bottom corner, like smack on, an inch from the side wall. It wasn't just a Rabona, it was the best Rabona I've ever seen that was absolutely inch perfect. You know, and, and I, I just looked at him and I said, you little sh... And you know the rest of the word. You know, because, <laughs> you know, nobody does that. Nobody. But that's what our program does. It, it just encourages brilliance. Mm -hmm. There are no limits in these kids' minds, you know, and so... It changes, it retools them. It's blue ocean to retool in a child's mentality to be a brave, creative leader for life. Yeah. You know, and it's just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. But, but all round roving soccer goblin. <laughs> and that's what Grayson Lens is. You know, yeah. you said all round roving soccer goblin, and it immediately made me think of um, so often when, when my teams are playing, the the, the predominant coaching point that the other coach makes and increasingly it's the entire game long stop diving in stop diving in stop diving in yet when I think about it when I step back and think about it and I and I walk up to other fields while we're warming up and two other teams are playing that coaching point is literally never made that is an example of the blue ocean that that our players um, uh, bring to the to the to the pitch is that that they are so good on the dribble and they're so eager to dribble first, right? Beat a player, then get their head up and see what their options are. Oftentimes another dribble, another beat. Um, uh, that the other team every time has to change their, their defensive strategy or their coaching focus entirely because they're diving in too much. And they're getting beat over and over and over off the dribble. Yeah, and they're not used to playing against a team like that, so it's completely different sure. for them. It's, they're not used to defending like that. They, they're used to step you know, step in front of a player and that player will pass the ball sure. or try to push the ball to one side and run super fast. Yeah, but so they're not used to it, right? Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. You know, it's, you know, one of my favorite clips to play is, is my daughter Holly playing against a player that she played with, you know, for years in her youth soccer career, a player that knew exactly what Holly was going to do time and again, you know, and it's in high school. So now they're playing against each other and Holly does a drag Maradona and her teammate, that knows exactly what Holly's going to do. She's going to, you know, fake to go with the drag to her right foot. She's going to pull it back and come into her strongest foot, you know, that she has a chance of scoring from 30 yards on, you know. And so, you know, she could have literally stopped in mid-play and described exactly what Holly was going to do. And still she reacted. Still she committed. Still she, she overcommitted to the drag and Holly beat her like a drum, and the other defender, because a lot of the opponents that Holly's high school team played against double-teamed Holly sure. because she was so good at the moves. And, and so what happened was, you know, this, this, this girl just bit hook, line, and sinker, and every single one of Holly's teammates did the same mm -hmm. because there's something in us, call it fight or flight. We react when somebody does something that kind of 
upsets us, mm-hmm. especially if it's instantaneous. You know, that woolly mammoth comes around the corner of the mountain and we're 100 yards around that corner. We see that sucker come around the corner. We've got to decide there and then, are we going to run like hell or are we going to get our spear out? We're going to fight it. Yeah. If you want to survive, you run like hell. You know, it's, and, you know, so there's this, you know, and it's, it's linked to the panic response. You know, kids respond very quickly to things that are scary, you know, with either, you know, get their fists up and fight, which is rare. You know, that's you know, more of a learned response or, you know, react and run. And that reaction is fatal in a drag Maradona. You can't help but react, you know, but when you react, you're cooked. Yeah. You know, because the narrative has changed from the defender who can jockey, delay, channel the opponent. You know, good defenders, that's what they do. But when somebody does the drag in the drag Maradona, you know, you react. And the dribbler actually controls the narrative. For the first time ever, the dribbler is controlling the narrative. It's blue ocean. Yep. Totally blue ocean the way we teach the moves. Totally blue ocean with the box soccer courts, you know, the small boarded fields with the wall ball goals on them. You know, the fact that we can play, you know, um, soccer boxing in the box soccer courts where we can go one-on-one dribbling from goal to goal and our moves have to be done on a postage stamp. The fact we can use it like we've already described with, you know, the move training, you know, all of these environmental things and a thousand other things that we've developed over the last 30 plus years, these give us total blue ocean. And we are so far ahead of the traditional coaching community, it's absolutely scary. And I don't understand as yet, but you know, I haven't promoted this to any professional clubs around the world. I don't understand as yet why there aren't professional clubs crawling all over our facilities, taking notes, because they could take kids of seven, eight years of age, and they've got their pick of the kids in the neighborhoods that they operate in, the cities they operate in. I don't understand why they're not investing their money in multi-million dollar training centers that are better versions of what we've built here. Because we've got kind of a Rocky Balboa gym concept here. I think I have an answer for you. So this is a quote by Eurico Miranda, the former president president of Vasco, Vasco, yeah, Vasco da Gama in Brazil. And this is what he said. I I came across this this week and screenshotted it to share. Our top players are not hatched on Copacabana or Ipanema. I don't know what that is. 95% of them have been created on the street corners of the favelas. Just think how many times a Brazilian boy playing for hours, one end, uh, hours on end every day in the street touches the ball. That is the kind of head start that you can't catch up with. The biggest mistake that they make in Europe is being too well organized. The secret is spontaneous, unorganized football. Our academies do not do anything different or better than those anywhere else. They just have to make sure not to ruin the raw material they take in. The work has already been done for them. And 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 while that, that quote hits on a bunch of things, the point that I hone into specifically as to why the, the professional academies or clubs haven't done it is because it's too, it's dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's too competitive. And, and the risk of stepping out of doing what everybody else is doing from an academy perspective in, in England or Europe or wherever it might be, is too great so they never take the risk. Yet it's when they take the risk and find that blue ocean where it will change for them. Um, and this comes into what you say often, Philippe, talking about Brazil. The issue in Brazil right now, the reason we're not producing players at the level we used to is because we're trying to be, we're copying and trying to be like everybody else. And, and, and I think maybe if there's one message to hit home this specific topic on this specific episode is that um, uh, trying to be like everybody else is a death sentence because yeah. now you're competing with everybody at a level and just the sheer number of competitors um, uh, lessens the odds of you being successful. Um, and I think that's a point that I want to make in this episode. And I definitely don't want it to go unsaid is, you know, our, 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 our listenership, our audience is, is quite diverse, right? Like I was, I was digging into our stats the other day and it's something like 42 countries, right? We've had listeners from 42 countries. Um, and, um, I imagine that we've got parents that listen to this, epi- these podcasts and, and think, um, I, you know, I'm looking for something for my kid in, in terms of how better to encourage them to, to develop in the game, right? I imagine that there's recreational coaches. I got an email this week from Steve in South Alabama, a recreational coach that has now 
now implemented this, um, uh, you know, his spin or, or as close to, to, to what he can from the way that we do it with the recreational kids that he coaches in South Alabama. I imagine we have club directors and, and, and club leadership that listen of both small clubs and big clubs. And the message that I want to put forward is over the last 30 plus years, we have continued to look and think outside the box in every way possible. And in doing that, we've looked for blue ocean. We've employed the blue ocean strategy, look for blue ocean opportunities that provide uh, us as an organization, our coaches individually, our parents and our players, an opportunity to, to be different and in being different, increase the odds that they succeed um, in whatever their path might be. And whether that's the younger age groups, two through five, other clubs don't have a two through five program like Happy Feet built around um, using soccer as a vehicle to teach life lessons, right? Um, uh, nursery rhyme with a soccer ball, Disney uh, uh, with Bob the Bobcat at their feet, um, whether it's about training facilities. Other clubs have typical traditional soccer fields, turfed or grass training facilities. We don't. We use indoor facilities and we, we create a blue ocean strategy from an indoor training perspective. Our, our coaches within our club employ a leadership, um, uh, a leadership, a style of leadership that's about giving every kid um, the opportunity to go for it and not be afraid to make mistakes. And within that, we are different in that our players have equal playing time across the board. Every player is a quarterback on the field. Every player is encouraged to make mistakes and to go for it. And every player, as a result, can maximize um, their, their potential within the game. And, 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 and those are just a few highlights of it. But I say this to whether you're a parent, a, a small club director, or a coach, we have blue ocean concepts that we're only going to be able to scratch the surface on this this specific episode that we'd be lovely to we'd love to connect in with you on and help you create blue ocean in your own community in your own uh, area um, whether that be you know whatever it might be and so reach out like I, I, I tell you Andy is literally chomping at the bit to share a few jokes with you through email and then help you uh, connect um, and be you employ a blue ocean strategy in your own specific pond and and if i can expand on that a little bit because this isn't about soccer this no. is about life and you know i'm i'm going to read to you uh, a a a poem that was included in in britney's uh, my my eldest daughter's graduation uh, tribute when she left uh, kansas university and it's written by william saroyan and I want you to think about it. Listen carefully to this and think about it. As Brittany embarks on new journeys in her life, she will always keep this quote close to her. In the time of your life, live, so that in good time there shall be no ugliness or death for yourself or for any life your life touches. Seek goodness everywhere, and when it is found, bring it out of its hiding place and let it be free and unashamed. Place in matter and in the flesh the least of the values. For these are the things that hold death and must pass away. Discover in all things that which shines and is beyond corruption. Encourage virtue in whatever heart it may have been driven into secrecy and sorrow by the shame and terror of the world. Ignore the obvious for it is unworthy of the clear eye and the kindly heart. Be the inferior of no man, or of any men be superior. Remember that every man is a variation of yourself. No man's guilt is not yours, nor is any man's innocent a thing apart. Despise evil and ungodliness, but not men of ungodliness or evil. These understand. Have no shame in being kindly and gentle. But if the time comes in the time of your life to kill, kill and have no regret. In the time of your life, live. So that in that wondrous time, you shall not add to the misery and sorrow of the world, but shall smile to the infinite delight and mystery of it. Our club lives that to the max. Our players come, and when the time is to kill, do a Maradon Turner, turn, stick the ball in the back of the net, they kill. They are prepared to be that kid that stands out, that's brave, creative, that's a leader, totally to the core, courageous, carry the team on their back, like Brazil has done over the decades. You know, Brazil has set the standard 
for being prepared to get out of the box, do incredible things. That, to me, is what killing means. You know, it's about really living your life and being that person that isn't afraid, you know, to do something that's completely out of the box, you know, and, and very different. And a lot of people are very uncomfortable with people that are out of the box and very different. You know, I brought my kids up to be totally comfortable with all forms of humanity, all races, religions, colors, and creeds. We in the club, it's total blue ocean. We brought our players up to be totally comfortable with doing multiple Maradona turns, you know, taking shots from anywhere and everywhere, trying the most difficult things, being absolutely out there on the ragged edge, because until you go, you never know. And that's what we've got to do with our kids. We have got to challenge them to be the very best that they can be at themselves in what they want to be and what their passion is. And each of my kids has, at this point in time, left soccer and gone on to do other things. But they're doing other things incredibly bravely, incredibly creatively, except for Alex, who's here at the Legends Club, and he's like a Pied Piper with eight teams that he coaches on his own, you know, and, uh, you, know, it, you know, he's a... He's a you know, an out there go-getter in soccer, you know, but they're all doing vastly different, wonderful things, you know, and doing things at a very elite level within their chosen areas of operation, you know, and so um, very diverse. And when they, you know, they've, they've abandoned soccer, they've come to me and kind of apologized. Hey, I, you know, I think it's time for me to move on. And I say to them, that's why we did this is so that you can move on and you've got the right attitude in whatever it is that really trips your switch yep. to be that leader, to be that, you know, in a blue ocean manner, that lifelong, you know, challenger of the status quo that makes incredible things happen in life. And that's the most important thing that we do. Yes, we create incredibly great soccer players, players like Ronaldinho, like Pelé, you know, the great Brazilians. We create that type of a player. But more importantly, we create people that can go on in life to anything they choose to do and do it in an original, groundbreaking, blue ocean manner. Can, can I share a little bit of history about the club for those of you guys that are listening that may be thinking, you know, I'd really like to, I'd really like to impact my community uh, in a similar way to what it sounds as though you guys have, have impacted your community in Kansas City. So um, Andy started the club in, in the, the, the mid to late 80s. Uh, and initially the club was founded almost entirely, no, entirely as a boys club and an elite boys club. We had one team per age group, but every team we had was really, really, really good. Um, Andy and a few other coaches were coached almost all the teams. It was a small club. That was the club I participated in. That was the club I was a part of. In the um, mid-2000s, post-college, you know, I came back, Kyle came back, Kyle's the executive director of Legends now, um, and we started working back with the club. At the time, the club now had girls' teams. It had elite-level teams and mid-level teams and new, newly formed, not great, you know, just out of rec teams, um, but it was small. I want to say our numbers as a club was maybe 30 teams or so, um, which compared to now is quite small um, a, a, in terms of size of club. Um, and it was that way for a few years until 2009. In 2009, um, I, I mean, I think we've talked about it on this, this podcast before, but a light turned on for Andy and he said, or maybe it'd been, it'd been a dream for a while and finally, finally he was able to flip the switch. Um, but Instead of spending all this money renting space other, other places to train, let's just get a new office space and in the back end of the warehouse, let's build one soccer indoor training facility or field um, and see what happens. And what happened was a few things. Uh, thing one was it, it created an environment where kids, our, our development sped up pretty quick. Um, but it also created an opportunity for, um, uh, uh, for us to start to run and own and be Blue Ocean in terms of the programming that we ran. Right, we had Happy Feet at the time, so we had this two to five year old program, and then we started club at like eight nine, but we had nothing in between, and so we started trying and and trying to figure out what what we could do. The biggest challenge we had in Kansas City at the time is all of our large competitive clubs that we were competing against had their own recreational base. You know, they were part of Blue Valley Recreational Soccer, and so those kids would feed up into the competitive club tryout system. And so what we did is we started running our own. 4v4 indoor recreational soccer program 
So building the indoor facility and running our own 4v4 indoor recreational soccer program, which actually at the beginning, I don't think was indoor. We had rated outdoor because we didn't have enough field space indoor. Those two things changed the path for us as an organization in Kansas City in, in, in the most profound way. Fast forward now, 12, 13, a little bit more than a decade later, and we don't have 30 teams. I don't know, we're probably at 130 teams, plus a little more than, that. Little more than 130 teams in Kansas City, plus a fully functioning thousands, thousands of kids deep on an annual basis participating in our recreational program. We didn't, we didn't you know, cry boo-hoo. We didn't go beg a, 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 a municipality to let us you know, uh, poach their recreational program and offer once a week or once a season we'll do a training course for your volunteer coaches we went out and made our own and in making our own we made blue ocean for kids in kansas city ages five to eight nine that had a recreational soccer um, uh, um, uh, commitment level and interest we were the only game in town that provided professional coaching that was centered around being deceptive and creative and going for it and all of the things that parents want for their kids and that blue ocean space we found has been what has changed our organization, but it's not about our organization. It's what's changed the path and the opportunity for kids here in Kansas City and beyond because we have partners in other, in other cities that we're helping to, to, to follow this same blue ocean strategy path, um, uh, change their future and be more creative and more, more as Andy mentioned specifically in that poem, um, uh, um, big time winners, that people that can change the game. And so... If there's one message, I've said that a few times now, so if there's three or four messages that you take from this episode, one of them I would hope would be, look, I'd like to really change the game for my town. Uh, reach out to us. We are happy to to share with you in a more intimate detail, specifically connected with the unique variables that exist within your, your market, your region, how you can have a bigger impact and how you can employ a blue ocean strategy in, in, in your backyard. And yeah, and it's, I mean, it's so evident what, you guys said about the facility and we're seeing the results today and Andy can testify for that because he obviously has been running the club since the beginning but the kids with the facilities they develop so much faster it's incredible I mean you got kids especially when you got kids that come sometimes a little older to start soccer in a sense because especially my background you start soccer when you're in your mom's womb but here you see a seven-year-old that never kicked a ball and they come in and they are completely raw and just in a matter of weeks months you already can see a level of progression that you never see otherwise in any other different program so the ability to give the fundamentals and you know the most important skills of the game which is deceptive dribbling and goal scoring for those kids that are beginning it's just a game changer because they go from zero to a level of repetition and a level of intensity in training that they pick up, I mean, incredibly fast. And you look at the players that are already playing and they're good. They already have, you know, the basis of the technique and, you know, they are put into that system with all the repetition and coached repetition, right? So we're uh, correcting their technique and making sure they're doing it correctly. I mean, it's just incredible. You you see kids at age 9, 8, 10 that are doing things with the ball that you couldn't even imagine. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, kids, some coaches that kind of understand our philosophy and adopt a little bit think, oh, we'll train like that when they're younger and then once they're 12, 13 and whatever, we're going to teach them the game. Well, I'm coaching now 2009 boys, and it's so funny to see how they grow and their body changes. Some kids have foot size, you know, 10, 11, and they're five foot tall. Like, they're completely not proportional, and it looks like they're running on flippers, right? And you stop training the skills, they start losing it. They start losing the technique, the repetition if they're not getting it they they can't perform in the same way so they need to keep training as they grow as they become growing their own body and they become adults physically otherwise they're going to lose it and if they're losing it everything that you did up until that point 
lost its point, right? They become going to become simple players, passers, and they're going to lose the element of brief, creative leadership, and they're not going to be deceptive dribblers anymore. So you got to stick with it, and by doing that, you'll be able to develop the best players possible. And, and there's a tremendous amount of science behind that. But the kids, when they're going through their growth spurt, they add a lot of connective tissue to their body. You know, pounds and pounds of it, 20, 30, 40 pounds mm-hmm. of, of brand new connective tissue. And it's, it's, it's virgin tissue. You know, it's not trained. It's got to be trained. And there's a complete misconception that at age 12, everything switches to tactics. And it's completely blind. Because at age 13, 14, 15, 16, girls and boys are going through this incredible growth spurt. Girls start when they're 11. You know, and so during that growth spurt phase, which can last five or six years, it's essential to train the new tissue they're adding to do the Maradona turns, to do the Cruyff turns, to do all these funky things. And so you have to retain your skill focus. And at any point in time, if you retain your skill focus, then they don't have to think about the skills. Those are on autopilot. And there's a great move in the game to scan all the time, which is absolutely 100% right. But if you're totally focused on the ball and your skill, because it's not automatic, it takes away from your ability to scan and play the game tactically. So you have to be brilliant with the ball in order to scan later on. Because mm-hmm. there's no point in scanning unless you can do what you want to do after you've identified, I can shoot here. I can hit this player that's breaking through their defense here. You know, and, and so you know, people don't realize that the technical skill phase is forever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something the great players, even in their 30s, guys like CR7, Leo Messi, on a weekly basis, they're training their technical skills. They don't a, ever abandon it. A great example of that is Romario. He always talks about, you know, he, he used to love partying it and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And people kind of have the misconception that he didn't like training. And he said, people say that he didn't like training. It's the complete... Uh, it's completely false because I train what I needed to train. My job, I was paid to score goals. So, yes, I didn't go with the team and ran, you know, 30 sprints or, you know, ran three miles with the team and did fitness. While they were doing that, and that's him after he was like 25 and on, 30 and on or whatever. He's like, all I did was train finishing. I had one of the, you know, assistant coaches or whoever a player that wasn't part of the training cross and I'm finishing pass the ball to me through and I'm finishing and I'm finishing and I'm finished he would spend you know the whole day of training while the team was training he would be training his specific finishing dribbling shooting dribbling shooting receiving shooting headers everything and he was amazing at it because he got the repetition on the technical side on what he needed to work on and, you know, later on, the game might get more specific for kids. And, they'll, you know, if they're a striker, they're going to have to work more on certain things. If they're center back, they might be working on certain things. But that's later on. That's when they're in college. That's when they're pros or whatever. But we need to teach the kids to improve their technique. And it's constant. They have to be doing it all the time. Otherwise, they're going to miss it. The tactical side is not enough. Anybody can learn the tactical side. You see coaches that coach the game and never played soccer. It's rare, but you you have some. Mourinho never played soccer at a high level. He was one of the best coaches in the world. So you can study the tactics. You can learn the tactics. What makes the difference? What you can do when the ball hits your foot? Or if there's somebody really good going at you and you know what to do. And, you know, in our curriculum, it's not just on the ball. When we're doing 1v1s, half of the time you're on the defensive side. So you get all the repetition as well in a significant degree. And, you know, it just makes them much better. One of the things we do here on this podcast is we, we go with the flow, right? We do this very organically. And, you know, I'm deadly serious with this. Uh, you know, and so one of the things that I always feel that we end up with, you know, is a podcast that's half done. You know, when we leave our audience... You know, we haven't touched on, you know, everything that we needed to, to touch on. And so... Are you, saying, want, are you saying that because we're going to be wrapping up soon? Well, yeah, I, I want to get this in. Is yeah. We're doing it again today, yeah. you know, because we've touched on only a certain number of the things that we really needed under this heading for the podcast to touch on. 
You know, and I listed nine things that are incredibly uh, original to our program in terms of an organized program. And let me go through these. What we have that is totally blue ocean that other organizations don't have is we have coaches with an amazing, loving, child-centric spirit. Most coaches in other programs are win-focused. It's not about, you know, that spirit. Number two, we have the most unique coaching philosophy to be found worldwide. What people do in the favelas is organic. It's part of our philosophy. You know, there's a book about it. Mm. You know, it, and so, you know, there's four, you know, four books, two in pro- progress, you know, two that have been published. You know, number three, we have a one-of-a-kind original curriculum. You know, there's nothing like it. You know, so this is the core of any program is your curriculum. You base everything around your curriculum, and our curriculum is totally different from anything else that's ever existed. Number four, we have an incredibly optimizing environment. The box soccer courts, we've talked about what we do in terms of teaching the drag Maradona. We can only do that because we have got 70 of these boxes in our facility and we've got enough boxes for every kid to get in a box during the week mm-hmm. and practice their drag marathoner turns you know so we've spent a fortune in time and money you know putting together an environment a physical environment you know that is the perfect version of the favelas that the great brilliant brazilian they're brilliant Brazilian soccer players grew up in, you know, and, and they grew up making do with, you know, any wall that was there. We've created boxes surrounded by four walls and roofed in where the ball can't get away, where the repetition is ungodly, you know. And number five, first in the world facilities and program design. Design is essential. So we've designed all this. We've consciously, you know, we've got 66,000 square foot is where we're delivering this podcast from, you know, and we've designed every inch of this square footage so that it is optimally developmental for the kids that come here to train and play. Uh, Number six, multiple practice attendance system. As Philippe has described, he would leave his house and he'd go and play for hours, you know, in, in the slums of Rio. You know, and that was a... a, a I don't think Philippe played in the slums of Rio. Otherwise, he wouldn't be with us today. (laughs) I didn't play in the slums, but I played on the streets. On the streets, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you know, but, you know, you know what I'm getting at. It was, was, you know, small, tight, fast, um, you know, uh, spaces. And um, in in our situation here... um, you know, we're totally different from other clubs. Other clubs have teams that are islands. You can't go to another coach in another club and say, hey, coach, can I jump into your practice? Because they're going to look at you like you've got three heads and they're going to say, absolutely no way. I'm coaching my team, you know, to play high-pressure defense. I don't want you messing it up, you know. And we're coaching every one of our individuals to be Diego Maradona, to be, you know, without the partying, you know, <laughs> to, to be Ronaldinho, you know, to, to be this incredible player, you know, last World Cup, you know, Leo Messi or Kylian Mbappe. We want these incredible game changers. Jump in, kid. You know, it's your fifth night, your fifth hour of the night. You've still got energy. Come and join us, yeah. you know, and, and it's just incredible how, you know, that changes kids. I was talking about Grayson Lenz earlier. You know, his dad tells me he's two hours, three hours a night. He comes up here and he jumps in and jumps in and jumps in. He does a bit of this, a bit of that. He'll join me for 30 minutes. He'll do five rounds of, you know, of, of all of these incredible turns. You know, he'll go off and join another practice. And, you know, the kid's getting all of these wonderful opportunities, touches in all sorts of life situations. And everything's incredibly valuable because we've thought it through and we've built it. You know, and, um, an inclusive cloud coaching approach. You know, we have two coaches on every team, you know, and, you know, we have people that are totally into this cloud approach where we help everybody to, you know, go multiple steps further than other clubs have even dreamed about helping their players. Uh, Unparalleled leadership for life training. You know, we're all about life. This is just a forum for life. Our kids are going to be brave, creative leaders in life because we're giving them this type of training and it's totally unusual. It's totally out of the box. And then, of course, and this is you know a nod to Brazil, we've got a beautiful game culture. 
We do the things that are beautiful. We do the Maradona turns. We do, you know, double scissors moves. You know, we do all of these incredible things and we encourage our players to shoot from 30 yards out. You know, shoot from 40 yards out, shoot from 50 yards out. You know, have a go. You know, it's, if you don't go, you never know what, what you're capable of doing. So you've got to take the risk. You've got to get out of the box. And those nine components, most clubs don't even have one. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, and, and for those of you, because we are wrapping up now, for those listening, um, that what Andy just went through is a write-up that, that, that Andy did to help prepare for this podcast. And we're happy to share that, that with you so that you can gain greater understanding of, of the depth of, of all of those. But even the write-up Andy did is just a fraction of how deep each, tiny, one, of those, tiny each one of those concepts that, that those concepts go. So hopefully what we're getting at here is that we've been doing this for a while. No, we're not perfect, but it's continual improvement. Um, and it's really, 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 really good. And we are happy and eager to connect and uh, with you and, and, and wherever you are in your uh, brave creative leadership for life journey um, and help and help where we can. Um, Andy at KCLegendsSoccer.com, Philippe at KCLegendsSoccer.com, and no Co- soccer. Oh, just KCLegends.com, because that makes sense. We should have two different ones. And, and, <laughs> and you can catch me at CoachingInsideTheBox at gmail.com. Andy, do you have any parting thoughts before we uh, depart? Did you really have to ask that question? Well, I was just—I was just literally giving you the mic. <laughs> You're too far away to physically give you a mic, but you've got one in front of your face. So, we concentrate on developing brave, creative leaders that welcome the opportunity to take huge risks with the ball in their quest to optimize their lifelong potential. We develop people who expect to take charge of the game, and in the long run make the game of life look easy. What most parents and children don't understand is how many, if not most, soccer training environments and cultures are designed to develop obedience, regimentation, and average physiological and psychological performance rather than elite, brave, creative leadership. To breed brave, creative leaders is our ultimate goal and Dare I say it, no one else is doing it. Exactly. It's true. Cool. All right, Philippe, Andy, great stuff. Until the next episode. Until next Thanks, time. Thanks, guys. Bye. It's always fun. Bye.